Hi, this is Ali Iskandar from Islam and Liberty Network. This is the last episode of our four-episode long series featuring Ali Salman. In this week's episode, we talk about the state of current Islamic economics and Ali's views on it. On to our discussion. Uh, welcome to the Islam and Liberty podcast. If you enjoyed this show and wish to find out more about us, find us on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. This is the final episode of our four-episode series, so if you are just joining us, I recommend you to listen to previous ones before listening to this week's. Joining us again is Ali Salman. Today, Ali, we are going to talk and explain about your view and thoughts on current standings on Islamic economics. So if you may, could you briefly explain on how did Islamic economics emerge? Thank you, Sikandar. Uh, one important distinction which I would like to uh, highlight in uh, today's conversation is that uh, in previous episodes, uh, I have used this, this term Islamic economic framework to uh, explain my own understanding of economic in principles in Islam. Uh, whereas uh, there is now reasonably well-established, well-known discipline of Islamic economics. Uh, and today we uh, will talk more about that discipline first, the Islamic economics as it is known generally, and then maybe what are the differences. So you asked about uh, the, uh, the evolution. Uh, I think it is important to understand that um, it um, it is a 20th century phenomena in, in, in the sense it's a modern phenomena. Earlier 20th century, uh, we, we saw the rise of um, discourse on uh, Islam in, and economics. Um, and actually, I think that uh, the poet philosopher from the uh, subcontinent, uh, Allama Muhammad Iqbal, uh, with his book Ilmul Iqtisad, uh, was probably the forerunner of Islamic economics uh, as we know it today. Although he did not use this term, uh, he was uh, writing a textbook on Islamic uh, on economics um, in Urdu, but he was referring to uh, Quran and Islamic principles in, in, in his book and he was commenting on both uh, capitalism and uh, socialism. He was uh, critical of both systems, uh, but he was certainly more critical, uh, I would say, of capitalism as we know it in terms of private property rights, uh, price freedom, uh, etc. than socialism. But later on, he also criticized socialism and referred to it as a system which um, creates a dictatorship of labor. Uh, so in his book, um, Alama Iqbal uh, mentioned several of these principles and developed uh, his own critique. And um, in the earlier part of 20th century, then we saw uh, two scholars um, uh, and two theologians uh, from, um, again from then undivided India, Maulana Modudi, and uh, from uh, Iran, Bakir al-Sadr, who were writing uh, in uh, 1930s and 40s, and maybe earlier than that, uh, about this new discipline. Um, it is important to recognize that uh, it is the same time period when after uh, 200 years of uh, rules, rule under the colonies, 
there were Muslim states started to emerge um, in in 40s and 50s and um, the way I see it uh, I see um, the emergence of Islamic economics in the same way as emergence uh, of Muslim identity so it's a part of that process uh, rather than uh, an academic exercise uh, to begin with and uh, this was I think the the genesis when Muslim intellectuals scholars uh, philosophers were trying to uh, make their own mark um, in terms of different disciplines but particularly in social sciences in, in including um, economics and that's how it, it started its very basic foundations. So what are the differences between um, the classical and modern economic thoughts? In the uh, previous episodes we have discussed uh, some of the principles of what I consider uh, the principles of classic economic framework. So I mentioned about, uh, uh, for instance, the uh, importance of price freedom, freedom to do trade, the importance of private property rights. Um, when we, in comparison, when we, when we look at the contemporary Islamic economics, the modern discipline, uh, we clearly see different emphasis. We see an emphasis uh, a lot on, for instance, on the inequality, on wealth distribution, on social justice, on uh, uh, moral uh, principles. And in modern times, in uh, you know, what started at really 1970s and 80s and is, and is quite flourished now, uh, the emergence of Islamic finance and banking. This is again uh, a modern phenomena, uh, not entirely and harmful, but the, um, the the, the main difference, I would say, between the classical understanding of Islamic economic framework and contemporary uh, version of it is the degree of emphasis. So the classical uh, Islamic economic framework were, was talking about main fundamentals of uh, economic institutions, uh, whereas uh, the contemporary Islamic economics is mainly initially concerned with the, the distribution and social aspects and then later on Islamic finance instead of uh, talking about fundamentals of economic problems as such. So uh, how, how did we even get to this point? Like what, what was the driving, driving force of uh, the differences in the first place? Like was this really the idea where we really wanted Islam, our own Islamic thoughts and that's why this came to be or... You see in the... In, in, uh, b before this subject uh, came to be introduced, that there was no organized uh, subject in the history of, let's say, the social sciences in the in the Islamic context. There have been some books written by 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 scholars, um, well-known theologian and scholar Ibn Taymiyyah wrote a fascinating book on prices. Before him, Ibn Khuldun had written on on taxation. So we we see uh, these bits and pieces. Uh, of classical uh, scholars, uh, Islamic scholars writing about um, these issues, but the the modern discussion started um, later on, and and then it it as as I said earlier, it was an attempt to assert uh, the identity uh, and the fact that this 
Um, one more thing which started uh, to begin more prominent in 1970s in particular is this whole idea of Islamization of knowledge. Islamization of knowledge was a bigger movement uh, which started in 1977 to be precise from Makkah conference. The idea was that um, uh, Islam offer, it's offers a unique worldview and then, and then this unique worldview uh, can inform our understanding of uh, natural sciences, physics, chemistry, as well as social sciences, uh, and the philosophy of education, for instance. And this whole thing was came to be known as Islamic, Islamization of knowledge. And so the upsurge in the Islamic economics in last 40 years or so, uh, through universities, through Islamic universities, uh, through various Islamic research institutions, is also related with the upsurge in the Islamization of knowledge movement. So I want to ask, uh, in your thoughts, is the Islamic economics uh, more plan-based or market-based then? Is, and do they ultimately matter in this case? I would say that if we consider the uh, primary sources to which I have referred to in, uh, in previous conversations, um, the emphasis, the relative emphasis is on market-based. But it is very important to establish that uh, this emphasis on market, on freedom, on economic liberty uh, is incomplete without the regulations and without the consumer protection principles, um, without limitations on, how, on the control of our wealth, without limitations on the private property. So these are all uh, the limitations which are imposed in, in, the, in this framework uh, of market-based uh, system. But I would certainly uh, suggest that um, uh, this, this is not consistent with uh, the plan-based economy, which we knew in the past in the context of um, uh, socialism and communism. Hmm. But then uh, you show, you're saying that there's a, Islam is, has a preference to capitalism, but wouldn't there be a danger in making more inequality? Because as I understand, uh, Islam does have zakat and, and other ways to distribute wealth. They, they might not want as much inequality as capitalism might promote, right? As, uh, as a fundamental principle, Islam uh, is not against uh, inequality. We, we learned it from, from Quran that um, it is a divine scheme. The uh, humanity is divided in different classes. Some people have more resources and some people have left, uh, less resources. So in this sense, uh, the inequality in principle um, may be desirable. Uh, from uh, an economic point of view, uh, but also from an Islamic point of view. The question is, uh, there are two questions. How much of inequality do we observe? And the second question is, as you mentioned uh, about zakat and the principles uh, of the wealth distribution in, in Islam, they are not denying uh, the, uh, the inequality principle as such as zakat and um, any other compulsory uh, deduction from our income and wealth 
which is permissible, which is uh, obligatory in Islam, means that we are not 100% owner of our wealth. There are shares of others in the wealth which we have generated. Uh, but that will not lead to uh, an, equal, an equality of outcome. Because say if I'm, a, if I'm earning reasonably well enough and I, and I pay zakat, then my net income will be reduced. But another person who is not earning enough or not earning at all, who's receiving uh, zakat, would certainly be at a different level of uh, income. So there is there is going to be a, a, a degree of inequality between um, these two persons. Um, having said that, uh, this kind of inequality, especially in terms of uh, the income and outcomes, is uh, not inconsistent with the Islamic economic framework. Let's see. So then would you say that the idea of an economic man uh, actually jives well with the Islamic economics? Are there even uh, tension between the two? So it's an interesting uh, thing you mentioned. Um, there are many um, actually famous Islamic economists uh, who have talked about this concept of uh, kind of a moral or social re-engineering of man, criticizing that, okay, we have converted, we have reduced the modern man into uh, uh, what they call uh, homo economicus. And, um, and scholars like uh, Najatullah Siddiqui, Umar Chapra, they are talking about uh, uh, Homo Islamicus. Oh. By Homo Islamicus, they, they mean that uh, there is a man uh, full of virtue, uh, values of sacrifice, uh, good conduct, and they're contrasting it, they're contrasting this ideal type of man. Uh, in their words, homo islamicus, with the, this homo economicus, which whom they consider rather selfish, materialistic, um, and and this worldly without a spiritual uh, dimension. This kind of a distinction, in my view, um, cons at the level of a concept, is is misleading, uh, because we cannot um, have these two ideal types. Uh, in actual, we are, as normal human beings, uh, both materialistic and spiritual in, in our nature. Um, and this, this fictional Islamic man doesn't exist. Uh, similarly, this fictional homo economicus does not exist. A man who is uh, earning, who is focused on material well-being, um, even if he's not religious, does have a social dimension, does have a spiritual dimension. And a man who is uh, more religious, more spiritual, also has to eat at the end of the day. So we cannot, do, we cannot create these um, contradictions. These are false ideal types. So in, in, in that sense, this kind of moral re-engineering and social re-engineering is uncalled for exercise. You would say it, it's even it's not even realistic to have these ideas and try to implement it to normal human beings because these are impossibles and nobody can really fit into the economic man nor the Islamic man. Yeah, that, that's correct. These are these are uh, fictional constructs. All right. 
So I want to ask, uh, so what are your thoughts on current Islamic economics and, and its current state? All right, so um, uh, it has flourished, uh, I would say, both as a subject and also as a practice. Um, so it has flourished as a subject um, in various universities. Uh, there was a study some time back uh, which suggested that it, it, it's taught at 100 over places in the world as a subject. Although uh, there is a criticism on uh, whether this subject has its own methodology or not. For instance, a book which came out uh, some years ago by Muhammad Akram Khan, What is Wrong with the Islamic Economics? Um, questions the whole idea of the, 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 the subject because the subject does not have its own epistemology and does not have a distinctive uh, methodology and uh, a subject where as we know uh, cannot survive uh, without uh, these philosophical uh, dimensions. Having said that um, there are many people who have attempted to uh, define uh, the Islamic economics in terms of uh, modern micro and macro economics. Um, so the, the context of these writers, of these later day writers, remain uh, the modern uh, discourse, which is uh, conventional micro and micro economics, and they have uh, exercised uh, their uh, research and uh, creativity to put them into an Islamic uh, framework. The other uh, side of the growth of Islamic economics has happened in the in the financial industry. There is an upsurge in the in the financial industry, bonds market, uh, Sukuk um, are, are flourishing. Malaysia is a major world center for Sukuk, uh, just like Qatar and and UAE has become major centers of Islamic banking, and uh, even the so-called Western multinational banks have the Islamic banks or Islamic windows at least. It's a fast growth uh, industry. Um, I, I notice a degree of um, pessimism in many traditional scholars noting that growth of Islamic finance is something not consistent with the notion of um, the spirit. Um, I agree and, and, and I, I disagree. I, I agree in terms of the principles uh, as I've elaborated, but I, I uh, disagree in terms of the effect. I think they still represent some um, degrees of innovation there and we need to study that further. Uh, you've mentioned some innovation, so maybe you can like tell me exactly what is it that you thought like, ah, oh, this is exactly the kind of um, thing we need in Islamic economics. Uh, other than uh, some of the things that you maybe not don't agree with in it, one possible, uh, one important dimension is uh, this uh, asset-based uh, lending. Um, so, if you are talking about uh, sukuk, the Islamic bonds in particular, uh, an Islamic bond um, has to be backed by a physical asset, uh, unlike the conventional bonds uh, which uh, do not have to be necessarily backed by a physical asset. Conventional bond can be backed by a financial asset, non-physical asset, monetary asset. Um, what are the risks of conventional um, financing, capital financing is certainly that uh, let's say if the asset itself 
is a fiat currency which is issued by a particular government and if the currency devalues then uh, the value uh, the returns and the investment on the bond can also deteriorate in performance whereas if the uh, the asset is physical let's say real estate or or highways with uh, with income coming from the toll charges uh, they are relatively more secure investments and more secure collaterals so this is important and and, and many uh, economists uh, institutions are paying attention to this aspect of Islamic mode of financing um, there are other differences um, so uh, housing if you look about the housing mortgage convention in Islamic um, I think the contracts are different although in practice I would say the uh, the effect is the same. So you mortgage in a you you mortgage a, a house and you pay a, a rental uh, every month. But the nature of the contract suggests that you are both the the lender, the bank, and you as borrower are joint owners of that property, and the property uh, ownership dilutes over the time of the tenure. If, and eventually when you have paid off all uh, the installments which included both principal and uh, the uh, the markup over the principal then eventually the the ownership is yours now the other view on on this islamic finance um, which is a view held by many including uh, i mentioned akram khan in his book uh, and also contemporary scholars such as jabed ghamadi that um, we don't need Islamic banking uh, because in their view and I, I concur with this view in their view except in the case of cash based lending where money is involved the, the modern financing the modern banking is actually financing which means you can finance a car or house or business um, through uh, through a bank and you're not you you're not necess you're not necessarily taking a monetary or a cash loan from the bank so that is one exception which which if incurs um, an interest payment becomes the uh, becomes non-islamic but uh, the uh, the other modes of financing are considered islamic even though they are not called islamic so uh, would you say then what your thoughts is that Islamic economics, uh, as you agree with, uh, with um, sorry, I've, I've lost the name. Um, Akram Khan and Javed Khamadi. Was that um, Islamic economics should be abolished, but something should, uh, it shouldn't be abolished wholly, but something should be put on top of the current economic system to help with, uh, with Muslims or... Um, I would say that uh, it's an intellectual um, journey. Um, so, and 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 um, uh, many generations of scholars and intellectuals have spent their lifetime on working uh, on what is called Islamic economics. Um, and um, the the question for before us is how does this Islamic economics, as we know it, addresses or resolves important global problems like uh, inequality, sustainable development, uh, government's fiscal crisis, 
that is important question and does have does islamic economics as we know uh, it have any unique offering or insights to to solve to address these issues i think that is a real question uh, if it does then certainly it has a room to grow in the future but um, i have taken this view that uh, the way it is defined today uh, this uh, lacks a methodological rigor uh, this uh, the islamic economics lack a clear conceptual fundamental alternative to modern economic literature um, and unless we go back to the classical understandings of islamic teachings perhaps we may not be able to come up with an alternative uh, a real alternative uh, to address some of these the global economic issues okay interesting um so uh i want to ask then uh, if islamic economics uh, fit neither within capitalism or socialism wouldn't we need another definition for it well this just islamic economics basically the uh, th- that's where i am uh, hopefully moving to um that uh, we don't need to look in the we don't need to narrate uh, the islamic economics in the context of the capitalism or or socialism uh we need to perhaps work on the uh, on the framework framework of islamic like what i call islamic economic framework rather independently of the two uh dominating systems or two dominating economic uh, ideologies um to come up with a exact definition is is an academic uh, exercise and i think we should we should definitely do it there are some scholars uh, who have talked about islamic capitalism some scholars who have talked about islamic socialism uh or communism uh but um i think we need to move beyond that and we need to talk about uh, the basic principles and uh, not just principles actual tools of policy actual institutions of the the islamic economic framework which can be useful for society at large mm-hmm. that's that sounds like a lot of a uh, thing to visit basically like you're you're suggesting uh, a lot of restructuring to how we see islamic state basically right so in my in my book in the end i i mentioned about uh, 10 specific policy prescriptions uh in the in the light of the islamic economic principles uh so if we go back to those principles the principle of wealth creation the the principle of ownership and the principle of wealth circulation uh were broad principles but then we need to talk about specific institutions and the tools of the the policy and um i think it needs certainly more empirical research but i can still suggest that uh the there are these 10 important uh, policy messages um which have relevance for today's uh, economic and social issues um and i just uh, presented list here uh well, first of all uh, the principle of private property uh islam does uh, respects private property but there are limitations on these rights 
and these limitations are not just ethical but also they are functional in nature uh, by suggesting that there are shares of others in our wealth which are defined second uh, land natural resources uh, cannot be converted into private property this is a potentially a very controversial issue uh, but this is this has a strong relevance with uh, with sustainable development with climate change uh, with uh, um, with the whole issue of the environment and environmental economics um, they uh, they will remain under public control which could be a state control and a community control uh, it can be managed by private properties against certain terms and conditions number three no price controls are needed except in the case of public emergency and national disaster prices should be set by the market participants number four uh, consumer protections, deception, exploitation and coercion in commercial transactions will not be tolerated. Uh, number five, the tax system in the Islamic economic framework will comprise of low and flat rates following the zakat model. Uh, number six, tariffs uh, will be kept at a minimum rate to allow free uh, flow of goods. Number seven, the authority of a central bank to print currency will be restricted by provision of an asset-based, an asset-backed arrangement to curtail fiat currency, generally sympathizing with the gold-backed system, which the world has uh, uh, managed for a long, long time. Number eight, financial institutions are allowed in the modern conventional sense and license for all the services except uh, charging interest on cash loans. And number nine, uh, fiscal revenue of the state will come from zakat, usher, and land value tax uh, without mm, any exemptions. And number 10, and last, the government may facilitate and encourage voluntary institutions for social protection on the pattern of wakf, uh, but they have no right to confiscate them. And all wakf institutions or foundations should be uh, denationalized and uh, given back to the private owners. I think some of these, uh, I think the, these uh, are the 10 important policy messages uh, which do have uh, relevance uh, for, uh, for, for today, relevance for the political economy and they are general nature, as, as I said, uh, we need to undertake more research. Uh, one question is, uh, if we restrict ourselves to the taxes which are collected which are recommended here, no other taxes but zakat, usher and uh, land value tax. Uh, is it enough to run a state? Uh, this is a subject to empirical inquiry and uh, I hope that uh, we can do more research on that. Social protection, um, yes we know historically they, the institutions have survived in the Islamic world but um, is this discussion uh, relevant today? when the government um, itself has become a welfare state but I'm proposing that it is quite possible uh, to evolve an alternative community-based private sector voluntary model of social protection and, and similarly you know all these policy proposals of course needs uh, more empirical uh, research but I do feel that uh, they offer value and they offer uh, possible insights to solve some of the socio-economic problems we face today.
Um, so I'm sorry to go back to this. Though so I, from my understanding, that is that uh, a lot of your leanings are still definitely towards capitalism, uh, the idea of capitalism. Um, so would the modern capitalist theory is based on limited government. So what is your theory about the size of the government in accordance to Islamic economic framework? Like, is it just impossible for a state so big to implement um, as Islamic economic, according to your view? So it's, a, it's an important question because the role of the government in economy cannot be denied. Um, there is always, um, there will always be a role. Uh, but what is important to understand that Islam, uh, Islamic economic framework, in my understanding, sets um, certain rules-based limitations on the size of the government. And those rules-based limitations are defined, obviously, by how much revenue a state can collect from its citizen. So if zakat uh, is imposed uh, from a minimum of 2.5% to a maximum of 20%, depending on the source and nature of income, I think that becomes uh, a sort of a religious case of limited government. The, uh, the, the, the notion that I am um, leaning towards uh, more capitalism, I would, I would resist that uh, and I would offer that um, I think the principles and the policies which um, I have described, I have sourced them from the Islamic sources, uh, needs to be debated on their own merit, uh, rather than comparing them with uh, capitalism or socialism. So, in your opinion, then the Islamic uh, is Islamic economics here to stay? Then, um, what is your vision of it in the future? As I, as I said, there, there is a relevance for some of these uh, principles and, and teachings which uh, scholars and intellectuals have elaborated. There is relevance of alternative financing model. So I am generally uh, hopeful about uh, the contribution, the possible contribution which can be made um, at a practical level as well as theoretical level. I would say in this case, uh, um, practical contributions are already observed, but theoretical contributions are rather limited at this point. Um, so, well, that's all the time we have today. Uh, so any closing remarks you might have before we, we finish this episode out? I think it's worth mentioning that uh, the Islamic economic framework uh, provides uh, maximum liberty to economic life. Uh, but it does it without an obstructing a just order. And in fact, for Islam, liberty is the essence of justice. And without liberty, a just God cannot hold his servants accountable. Well, thank you for joining us through all of this uh, four episode series, Ali. Um, and so, dear listeners, uh, and thank you for hearing this all out. If you still would like to find out more, uh, go ahead and find us on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. See you then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed and want to find out more about us or any topic, find us on islamandlibertynetwork.org. And I would like to wish you a happy Ramadan. See you next week.